Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. And thank you for joining us for Imagine This. We are thrilled to have you here. Um, I am Trent. I am Brashina. And today we have a very special guest. Amy, would you like to introduce yourself real briefly? Sure. I'm Amy Tofty. I am a playwright and screenwriter. Does that work? Yeah, yeah, she is a playwright and screenwriter and is very good at underselling herself. Um, she is supremely talented and is, in fact, in town with us. This is not one of those ones where we have a Zoom guest. She is here in the flesh with us in Waco, Texas, because we are premiering her incredible play, Cardboard Castles Hung on Walls. Awesome. I, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. So I think today what we'd like to do, as, as is often our custom, we're going to read a little bit of this incredible work. We have two monologues that we want to share with you, and we're going to use those as a launching point for some conversation about why we believe that this play is so important and a little bit about some of the unique aspects of the play. We'll get to hear a little bit from Amy about how the play came to be and why certain parts of the play are of particular importance to her. Um, Brashina actually got to see the play performed last night at the opening of our world premiere. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts you want to share before we dive in? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I was just about to be like, yes, I saw it last night and it's so... It's so, I, I use the word last night surprising in that it doesn't end the way that you think that it will. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a really interesting play. I thought that um, the way that it speaks about the unhoused by actually having them depicted on stage um, was so, was really, really good. Because uh, a lot of the times plays can feel kind of lofty about we're going to talk about these grand concepts and yet nobody is actually going to be in the room. No one's actually going to be on stage um, who has actually experienced that. And then um, so I really, really liked that. Cool. It was a good audience last night. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, they, it was. They, they were a good audience. So, yeah. Yeah, they responded really well to the material, mm -hmm. which speaks mm -hmm. to the material itself. Well, Thank you. It's, <laughs> it's hard for me to, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a collaboration, though. I mean, it has as much to do with the performers and the work you did with the actors and choices, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, so I think that's what makes theater so amazing. You know, it's never really one person. I mean, not usually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's that's one of the things that we talk about on here a lot mm -hmm. is that theater is really unique as an art form because mm -hmm. it is about community and mm -hmm. collaboration and totally. bringing people totally. together with different skill sets. You as a writer, and in this case, me as a director and a phenomenal group of actors. Mm -hmm. And this play really requires a pretty talented designer mm -hmm. as well because yeah. of the yeah. specific needs. I mean, mm -hmm. and we had an incredible dramaturg. I mean, it's a lot of people yeah. with a lot of different skill sets that they're bringing to the table to create one incredible product for then an audience to right. engage with. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's give you like a brief synopsis about this play real quick so that you have just the teeniest bit of context um, for the monologues that we're going to read for you. So the play is three characters. There is an artist, a politician, and a character which represents the unhoused or the homeless, the unsheltered. Um, and the play really deals with the way in which art and politics, which are intended to serve those who are marginalized, oftentimes overlooks the people that it's supposed to be serving entirely. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I'm not going to say a whole lot more about it. I think that sums <laughs> it up pretty nicely, and we'll be talking more mm-hmm. about the themes later. But this first monologue is one that I will be reading, and it is from the perspective of the artist character. This life chose me, you know? I was supposed to succeed. I had all the elements. I was on those lists in my 20s, you know? The lists of those up and coming, and it's it's too late now. I can't do anything else. This life chose me. The truth is no one wants us. No one wants art or politics. Well, they, they do want it. They just don't want to have to think about it for themselves. We're not people to them. We're outcasts, always begging for handouts and exposure in our next gig, never fully true to ourselves because you can't really do that. I thought I could stomach this whole thing, but I I can't. I can no longer be this. My voice could be gone tomorrow. I could die and no one would notice. I'm a fraud. They say be 100% authentic and the work will speak to a universal audience. And then the world will come to you. Don't seek it out. Never chase what's popular or you succumb in all ways. Stay true and your audience will find you. The career will find you. Success will find you. I'm going to die in poverty. With no savings, no legacy, no children. I can't keep anything together. I'll be buried in my canvases and sketchbooks, ranting like a lunatic about what my life should have been. I'm not afraid of you suing me because I have nothing you can take. So good. <laughs> Such a good monologue. It's, oh, that monologue. Uh, as, I, <laughs> as, I was, as I was reading, what you can't see are the way in which Brashida and Amy, both as artists, are just nodding along. <laughs> like, yes, that that is how we all feel sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it really, like, <laughs> the artist character in the show is so relatable on so many levels um because there's uh this is kind of the beginning of where we see like the artist struggle with you know sometimes the futility of art and like is what i do important um and that is a like constant struggle i feel like for artists is that you know at some point we've all looked in the mirror and been like is does what i do matter mm-hmm. is it important that i am writing these words or that i am playing this character on stage um, and I think this is especially poignant after having just gone through a worldwide pandemic where yeah. mm-hmm. our entire industry was laid super low. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, theater especially was just almost gone for a long time. And so now that we're like picking up the pieces, I, we're having a lot of conversations about like, why is art important and what do we do with theater to make it more accessible and make sure that it doesn't have another sort of lay low, um, you know, feudal point to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the through lines of this podcast is actually asking the question, why is theater essential? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. I I think that this play in many ways gets to the heart of that. Like, why why does this matter? These are questions we should be asking, Um, you know, because we want to make a difference, but we want to create beautiful things. Mm -hmm. But, you you know, we have all these desires, but is what we're doing meeting those needs? Is it accomplishing what we intend it to? Are we being who we want to be. I mean, these are just questions we're constantly asking within our art. Well, and I think so much too, what what draws us to art is the community mm-hmm. and also a sense of idealism, right? There's a sense of, I can contribute something and leave the world better than I found it. And I think so much of that drives us, you know, and I went to art school, like you could totally tell I went to art school <laughs> because of the play. Um, I mean, I was there as a writer, but I went to a art school where I was surrounded. Like I went to Cal Arts in, you know, in Valencia in California. And it's, it is an art school. Like there's no other degrees there. And so everyone around you and there's philosophy, which is an amazing philosophy is that you are exposed. That's all you're exposed to. You're just surrounded with it 24 seven. You walk in the front door every day and there's a new art installation going on. There's music going on. There's concerts going on. There's dance, you know, there's people rehearsing things in the courtyard and there's some weird performance things happening with maybe naked people. And you're like, okay, (laughs) you know, like I can do this, but it's like, you get, you get a little insulated in that in an art school, but you do kind of have to 
those spaces are also very important because they kind of they they steal you a little bit for the outside world but then you get out into that outside world and that idealism is still there but then it's like how am i going to pay rent how am i going to get health care how you know and now i have loans and now i have this and so and to me that is such a part of the monologue too where that real world thing happens and this is what breaks my heart is that i i know so many talented you know, not just writers, I know talented actors. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, the actors I know, so talented, and, and photographers and painters and, you know, who struggle, who really struggle. And I, and for me too, like, I just hear, I hear that monologue now out of context and yeah, I'm just like, oh, it's so painful. <laughs> it's so painful, but it's like, this is the thing that that artist, that artist mentor, like way back when you were like 19 years old, who said, don't do it. this is Mm -hmm. what they were talking about in some ways but you know what we still do it like i I, and that's the thing i don't know i've tried to stop writing and like do other things but it's like i can't always come back yeah so it's well in that line in the monologue this life shows me i think that that is so it's so easy for that to sound really trite Mm -hmm. but it's really true at the same time i mean i just don't know that many people that are like yeah you know it sounds really fun (laughs) being a struggling artist (laughs) you know what i mean no one is like that sounds like the dream yeah and yet here we all are (laughs) right because we can't do another thing Mm -hmm. there's just there's something in us that has to come out through mm-hmm. writing through acting yeah. through whatever yeah. it is for each of us but then on the and then on the flip side of that though being in a in a capitalist system you know to what extent are you cha- you know chasing what's popular chasing mm. what's you know chasing the th- the 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 hot item of the moment or doing what's really true to you yeah and you know cuz that is what you're always that's what every mentor that's what every good teacher that's what every you know, good artists talks about is they just do what's true to themselves. And that's the most important thing you can possibly doing. And even in the play, we say, if you're not doing that, if you're doing anything else is propaganda. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, if you're trying to message your way into this, it's propaganda, which is terrible. And, um, I don't know, maybe there's some good propaganda out there. I don't know. But, um, but you know, that, and that to me, I think is also such a, that's such a strong thing that artists go through that nobody can really understand unless they've been in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why I think for, for artists particularly, it, it resonates pretty strongly. And for people who love artists, because I know you, you always have that family member who's like, why can't you just go like do this and get famous? Or why can't you just... And it's just like you have no understanding of how this works or how, you know... Yeah. And that's tough too, like if you don't have people around you who understand the struggle... And, you know, that that's another piece of of that puzzle to me. Yeah, no, that that resonates a lot because sometimes, you know, like in in their care of us, the people around us, because they really Mm. want us to do well. They really want us to be okay. Yeah. And especially for artists, I notice that sometimes that manifests as like, well, you know, maybe maybe you need to. It's time to think a little bit more realistically, you yeah. know. And you're like, yeah. yeah, I am thinking realistically, but like, mm-hmm. not doing art is something that is not re- an option for me. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that I'm constantly thinking about the artistic ways that things work, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, how I could do this, or could I turn this into a play, or could this be a performance piece, or mm-hmm. you know, like it's it's something that is innate, um, mm-hmm. and it's. It's not something that I can just be like, oh, just, you know, throw mm-hmm. it away. It is literally the need to create is something that's authentic to me mm-hmm. as an artist. And I think a lot of pe- a lot of artists can relate to that. I think a lot of people can relate to the need to do something. Yeah. They just can't always understand why we have such a specific need for art, which is something yeah. that like mm-hmm. under capitalism doesn't really make a whole, whole lot of money. So, um, you know, when you're, when you have this capitalistic society mm-hmm. and everybody's thinking about like, well, how do I make sure I'm taken care of? How do I take care of myself? 
Mm-hmm. Um, art doesn't always seem like a smart choice, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's good. Well, and what came up last night too is this idea of scarcity. So then, mm-hmm. because you know, there's this idea. Oh, there's this grant. There's this. There's this. But it it goes to like one person. Mm-hmm. There's this prize. It goes to one person. And then all the steps that that person may have had to make, all the inroads they had to make, and that and to me, that's really a lot of where the play came from, mm-hmm. because there is these, there are these feelings I have sometimes where. Half the time I feel like I'm a politician. I'm marketing myself as much as I am trying to be a playwright. And that really bugs me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But people will even tell me, like I when I get advice from people who have had levels of success, they're like, oh, yeah, we well just have to pitch yourself better. And you have to do this. You have to do mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what am I doing? Because it's like the whole reason I became a writer is I put it on the page. The page is that read it. But even that, it's like, oh, you can't get read or you can't, you know. So it, it that, and again, it's because there's so many people out there trying to get, push their plays through and get all, the, you know, it, 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 to me, it, it, seeing those, and again, like that's the artist in me is seeing those, those similarities and how those two characters are kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And particularly right now, this idea that nobody wants art, nobody wants politics. It's like, well, we do want it. But there's that line in there somewhere. Like, I don't even know my own play, but I remember it from last night. But, like, nobody wants either one. Mm-hmm. Like, we want the out, we want all the good parts of it, mm-hmm. but we w- don't want to do the hard thinking to get it. Like, we don't want to have to get, like, really dig down and make good choices in our politicians or dig down and, ma- you know, and, and support artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, give the money that supports the little local whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, if they weren't there, we would be miserable. We want good politicians. We want good art. Yeah. But we aren't always willing to support it. No, we don't want it to require something of us. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. 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 We just we want, want to, to enjoy be there. the benefits without yeah. per- participating in the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And even because even that's what they say like our politicians, if we don't have good pol- pol- choices, good choices in our politicians, like, how is that not a reflection of us? But mm. also, like, who wants to be a politician right now? What? Am, how miserable. Like, you get destroyed. You get just eaten alive on social media. Like, it's such a difficult, and especially for ones that are, you know, have that, still have that idealism, right? They have the same idealism that we have when we come into art. And it's like, and then they get beaten down in a lot of the same ways we do. So, I mean, to mm-hmm. me, that was such a big part of, developing the artist was as much about thinking about the politician character and what they have in common even though they're fighting for a lot of the play yeah they really have that commonality um yeah So we have one more monologue that we want to read, um, and this is from the Riktika character, which, as we said, represents the unhoused or persons who are homeless. And Brishina is going to read this one for us. I am here. I am here. Have no worry. I am here. Born from the pure fires of Medusa under a white hot sun, I walk daily with gods of creation who speak to me as their equal. I conspire with the beasts and dance in the waves of a supernatural ocean. Electromagnetic. Warm and sour when you taste it. Mermaids are real, my friend. I've seen them. Slept with them. Cradled them to sleep in my arms. Who could leave that? Who would? Why would I abandon it? For you? Because you need to feel better about seeing me without ever seeing me? Walking past me? Around me? Right through me? Stepping over my home on the way to yours? You want me to fly. Take away your guilt when you throw a dollar or a bone. 
You want me to save you? I am not your superhero. I have given of myself to those who... I have rescued some who... To those who... I have given of myself to those who... And they were real. They were unconditional. They were next to me as I cried. She touched my arm when our father died. We watched him together as they closed the casket and laid the flowers over him. I was alive then, when pain still ached, when someone talked about Jesus and forgiveness and I felt a sweetness baking warm bread in my soul. When I looked up to, at those who spoke to me and should have cherished every moment of her voice, when she loved me, there are healing moments we are given by grace and those we crawl into when we can no longer be. We are lucky to be anything at all. I am not your superhero. You look at me and I see what you see, but I'm not trapped. I'm not trapped anymore. I'm not trapped. I'm free. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> well read. <laughs> it's a beautiful monologue. Um, I know these are th these are just two snippets of this play, but mm -hmm. I think even there, you can see that Amy has chosen to give the heightened language to the people who are overlooked. There's something really beautiful about the interplay of the artist and the politician speaking in a way that you would expect, right? They're, they're just people mm -hmm. living their lives. Mm -hmm. But then you have this Rick Ticka character who is speaking poetically. It, it feels like art, right? Mm -hmm. It just, it feels qualitatively different than the conversational tone that the other two characters have. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's something really beautiful about the character in the play who goes unnoticed feeling the most pure, um, mm -hmm. the most untouched by society. Um, and that that goes both directions, right? They're untouched and that they're unnoticed, their needs aren't being met, mm -hmm. but then they're also untouched in terms of they're not bound by this capitalistic socio-political mess mm -hmm. that the other two are embroiled in um and so mm -hmm. i think that it really brings to light the humanity of those that are so often dehumanized mm -hmm. simply through the choice of language mm -hmm. which i think is beautiful mm -hmm. i i when i was uh, watching the show last night it, and I'm going to put my theater historian hat on. I don't think Mackenzie will mind if I take her place for a second. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of the idea in um, Greek tragedies where our often the wisest character is somebody who's lacking in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what the Rick Ticket character reminded me of so much. And I really appreciated that as like a callback to, you know, that type of theater. Um, but I... I talked so much about how the Rick Ticka character, it wasn't necessarily the Rick Ticka character who unsettled me in the show, but it was the way that they were ignored and then the way that they were acknowledged where I was just like, this this feels wrong. This feels very gross. Um, you know, for them to go unacknowledged, it felt like as a uh, as somebody watching the play, it felt like, like, like somebody like I was watching somebody walk around with like a fringe stuck on their jacket and I was just like if you just 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 pull the fringe just pull mm -hmm. the just pull the fringe out just just acknowledge that there is something there mm -hmm. and then once they were acknowledged I was like oh wait no not like that <laughs> <laughs> um which yeah. is which is very true <laughs> to like a lot of the people on the fringes of our society yeah. and especially the unhoused we have mm -hmm. a large unhoused population here in Waco mm -hmm. um and interacting with unhoused people, it, it just, it immediately brings up a lot of biases and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this play is working on mm -hmm. exposing is that like, mm -hmm. we see the problem, we ignore the problem, mm -hmm. and then we don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
And I think that monologue in particular, we talked again about this a little bit last night, is um, the Rick Ticket character existed for a while before the play. And I don't actually know where exactly it started, but I've had like the, the opening monologue for Rick Ticket, I've had for a long time. And it was just kind of this standalone thing, and it had like a bit of a story, but it was more about the, the, the feeling of it that I was really interested in. And I didn't know where it was gonna, where it was gonna fit. And then this one that you just read was also a standalone that I did did for something else that um, you know it was like a twenty four hour thing or something. But again, it was like this idea of um, just picking up on what you were just saying. This idea of you, the artist talks about doing art, but doing the right kind of art, right? You have to do the right kind of art to be respected or get your money or get this or whatever and there's also this idea of the 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 unhoused but be the right kind of unhoused mm. be the unhoused that you know that I can hand you money and you make me feel good so there's almost like this thing where where they're still serving in a way so th I, that's where this idea of I'm not your hero I'm not your I'm actually a human with an entire life story that you can't begin to comprehend and how I got here is how I got here, but it's like I'm not here to just make you feel better mm. when you hand me a sandwich or hand, you know, like and and to me that and there's a there's an anger in that that I think is really important. Um, so I think it is interesting what you say about it. I mean, and I like I mean that was the whole idea with the play, but also again like this is the first production, so this is about figuring out does it actually work. Mm. Because I think there should be that unease, and there should be, and almost like, and what what I like about what happened last night is there's almost like we all kind of start to just accept them in the space. We all get a little comfortable, and just when we're comfortable, that's when they come to, and that's when like all hell breaks loose, for lack of a better word. But mm -hmm. like to me, that's it's that jarringness that I think makes it so, and that's what makes it so dramatic, right? That's mm -hmm. what makes it. Um, so interesting to to watch it unfold because it is almost like they're not being the right kind. They're not being the right kind of unhoused that you know that they want to have. And she has that whole thing where she's like, "But not like this. No, don't do it like that." Yeah. You know. So I mean, and I think that that's a real problem that we have because even in our idealism and our wanting to help, it's like, how do we also? maintain the humanity of other people and how, how do we do it in a way that is respectful mm -hmm. and you talk about the pandemic that I was involved in a lot of different mutual aid things that were happening during the pandemic and it's sort of how how are we helping people that is also a way that you know it's not about me it's about really restoring some dignity and finding some ways to help help people in the way they want to be helped basically mm -hmm. rather than the way that soothes my ego or is easy for me or whatever. And I think that becomes, and that's why mutual aid workers, like people who really do this work are like amazing people to me. They're like really incredible because those are the questions that they're asking. Mm -hmm. And when they're helping someone, it's, it is all about that unique human being and how are we making their life better? Cause everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and again, every every unhoused situation will be different for every community because of the demographics of that community because of you know what what's happened in that community in the last 10 to 5 years i mean who's been laid off how many veterans do you have in your community all of that stuff has an impact on what's going on mm -hmm. um, working in diversity that is that is the main question is how you want to ask the people who you're trying to help exactly. so that way you exactly. don't make an assumption. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something that we still struggle with so mm -hmm. much is to ask. We don't, well, I mean like your, your play kind of, you know, brings to the forefront is that we really don't see them as people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We just see them as something mm -hmm. to fix. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, a problem. Yeah. A problem to fix. Mm -hmm. And so then we don't actually treat them as people. We don't actually ask, what would mm -hmm. you like? What, you know, what kind mm -hmm. of, what kind of help do you want? Do you mm -hmm. want help? Do you want assistance? You know, mm -hmm. we don't ask those questions. So I, I think your play brings that up beautifully. Um, and it's a, it's a universal question of, the the help that I want to give you or the help that you actually need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Now, the the Rick Tucker character in the script, um, mm-hmm. if you are paying careful attention to us, you may have noticed that um, while Brashina read the Rick Tucker monologue as an individual, mm-hmm. both she and Amy have referenced the they that they saw mm-hmm. take place in the performance. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting things about this script, Amy, and one of the things that I love most about it, frankly, is the openness with which you have created this cast. When I was describing characters at the very beginning, I very specifically said a artist, a politician, mm-hmm. and I, there are no other descriptors <laughs> about those two characters mm-hmm. than simply that. Mm-hmm. But then Rictica specifically is a character that can be performed by one person or a chorus of persons. Mm-hmm. And so actually in our production that we're premiering, we have five Rictikas on stage. Mm-hmm. So even the monologue that you heard Brishina read beautifully earlier was actually a chorus of five people mm-hmm. performing mm-hmm. that same monologue, which completely changes mm-hmm. the dynamic mm-hmm. of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so when you're hearing them talk about seeing homelessness represented on stage mm-hmm. it was with five bodies mm-hmm. in space being ignored not just mm-hmm. a single person mm-hmm. which really changes the visual impact of what's taking place mm-hmm. yes so amy can you talk a little bit about that that's not it's an unusual yeah. choice right yeah oh no it is and um and I've been told many times I can't do it. So of course, when people tell me I can't do things, I immediately really want to do them. <laughs> like, I've never escaped being five years old, basically. Um, so I, um, when I was developing it, that is something that I really wanted to explore because part of it too is that I've it's it's a thing I've always wanted to do in the back of my mind. But some just certain plays don't they just don't lend themselves to it. So when the story of this play came about, I'm like, you know, this would actually, this could be that play where I can just say, yeah, it could be anybody. And especially for this politician and this artist character. And then when I got to the Rictica character, I'm like, yeah. And then and then even the idea of it being, the, the Greek chorus came up even when it was, when I was kind of developing it and having like little readings and getting feedback. This Greek chorus idea kept coming up because that is what the language sounds like and it's the way the character worked even as a solo character so that's when I started really thinking more yeah and then well and then you start when your mind really starts going there it's like imagine 12 Ricticas imagine a you know imagine you know how over what like because when you put bodies in space which is what I mean with theater that's why it's so incredible is that you can change the tenor of a room so quickly just with bodies in space and then having those bodies suddenly working in in synchronicity you know and it's it's like the power of dance and all those things you know so i left it open again because i i am a playwright in a capitalist world so it could be a three-person play if it's a theater that can't afford that. If they can't afford to hire, you know, a gigantic chorus of Ricticas, sure. I mean, it would take one pretty amazing actor, and it would be one, like, amazing role because they also play those other – they have, like, roles mm-hmm. also. Um, but, like – and those actors absolutely exist, which I think is great that to write something like that for this incredibly talented – person who exists I'm sure but you know yeah the the description is is yeah I think it's lasso a politician and I think I give an age range (laughs) I think I'm like a person it's just a person same with Murphy there's like an age range and a person and I think and then I don't know if this is in the script that you guys have because it's still a new script but I I've the descriptor for Rictica is the human it is in our script. Is it in? I okay. Because I added yeah. that kind of later as I've, as we've been moving toward production and I've been refining the script. But I just think that, that that thing of like, those are the core essence of the characters. That's who they are like at their core. And like, that's the only description. And, you know, I, I've seen readings with an all Asian cast. I've seen readings with non-binary people, which just makes me so happy because it's, it's, it's a way for authentic casting to be that person can bring whatever they are to the role. And it, and, and even the relationship um, can really be built between the politician and, and the artist, their backstory can become 
you know, we know that they had a, we know they've got some kind of friendship. We know there's a closeness there, but the details of that can be created by the actors. Mm -hmm. And to me, to me, I always, I've always loved doing the kind of theater where the actual, because I, I have an acting background. I don't act anymore, but when I was acting, you always have those plays where the doing of the play the the communion that you have with your fellow actors with the with the rehearsal process with you know making those discoveries that process is as valuable in your life as the actual performances yes. like there's something enriching about the creating of the play together and and those are the kinds of plays that have always stuck with me and I've been writing more and more with that kind of idea of like what can what can the creation of this play be about for the people creating the play and you know and and that takes a lot of trust almost because you have to figure out like you know what what what's the bare minimum that they need to then kind of all jump off the cliff together and do something wonderful but also make it really unique to their community and that was the primary driver when I started doing it. all these other things were like icing on the cake but the primary driver was like if this is really going to be something that shines a light on the unhoused, um, that talks about politics, that talks about art, and then, as I said last night, I kind of slide slide under the door a little bit of Me Too in there, <laughs> a little bit of Me Too movement stuff. But like, if it's going to talk about all these various things that I feel very passionate about, you know, I want it to feel as specific to the community that is being performed in as possible. And that's why the open casting, I think, is so important because the unhoused situation will look different no matter where it is. The idea of a politician and an artist will look different no matter, you know, depending on where you are. And the politics of who those people are can be very different and it can reflect in their relationship. And so to me, that... The, I just think that's a lot of fun. I mean, and I know that there are people who they just want the answers. They just want to know. And I'm like, okay, well, this may not be the play for you to do. But for people who do like those kinds of ex experimental feelings of putting it together, and maybe things don't, you know, maybe they have to do some exploring when they start out, maybe exploring what the rictic is, how they work, and how many. But I, I just think that that's what I have found is when, when you offer over a lot of trusts like that, it's usually very, it's a very good thing usually. I've never had like, oh my God, what did they do? I've never, <laughs> I've never had that experience. So I just think that there's just a lot of creative people. And I know that like directors will do things I'd never even thought of, you know? And so, and that, and that happened in this production. There are things that are, that are so like wonderful and the, the, the heartbeat, we talked about the heartbeat and, you know, there are things like that going on that just are really exciting to me as a playwright. Like, that's what's really exciting. Like, that's the best I can do and be like, just hand it over and, you know, and let people kind of fly with it. And so that's kind of, have I answered your question? I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I that mean, openness is, it's nuts, right? I mean, but, and it's unnerving for some people. I, I really I have to say from the way that everyone has talked about and now, you know, getting to read the script a little bit, it kind of feels like one of the I don't know if you've ever done this exercise as an actor where um, you basically like take a Shakespeare script and you know the like core of the script, but mm -hmm. then the improv exercise is just act your way to the end. Oh, <laughs> you wow. know, yeah. like hit some of the yeah. key points in there. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels like it kind mm -hmm. of feels like one of those types of improv shows. Like mm -hmm. in the in the sense that mm -hmm. you get to you know, build with yeah. the show. Yeah. I think that's such a cool experience to, mm -hmm. you know, have that sort of community um, and that collaboration mm -hmm. with the director and the actors and mm -hmm. the script itself. Like I, I love when a script lends itself mm -hmm. to that sort of collaboration. So yeah. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, and there's a real, there's a real problem. I mean, there's a real problem in screenwriting and in playwriting where there's a default to white, you know, mm -hmm. and we've all, we all know that. I mean, and and that that's what I think too for people who it might be bumping up against I think it's like no it can be anyone it could be anyone mm -hmm. you know it could be an all non-binary cast for all I care I would love that like that would be amazing you know and so I think that 
it is sort of that idea of like what and like even saying this thing about uh the experience that you just talked about like what level of improv and the reticas are so open like they're just these they're just words on the page and some of it is like there's a very long monologue so what are you going to do with that director like you've got you know you have all these choices to make and and I think that to me again, like that is the fun part of theater. That's the that's the part that can really make it come alive as a performer. Um, and uh, and then the word and making the words beautiful, like you know, and the and they do such a good job with it. I mean, the the cast last night, like they they just do such a good job with the language and the elevation of it. It's just really really kind of great what you guys have done. Well, thank you. I. I think that from the moment we chose this script as the one to be premiering this year, I was excited by a chorus of Rick tickets. <laughs> like that was the, that my director brain was just set on mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm-hmm. I love open scripts that like mm-hmm. give me the freedom to yeah. just like overlay on top of these beautiful words, this new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, And this script does that. And I think that it, I think it's really hard to write a script that can truly be relevant to any community in which it is performed. One of the things that we talk about a lot at Wild Imaginings is wanting to do work that makes sense within the context of the city that we live, not just doing like shows for the sake of doing them, but like what is right for here and Mm -hmm. the people who live here. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is one of those rare shows that I think any company in any city mm-hmm. could pick it up and say, yes, this is for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really rare. But I think that this open casting is part of the way in which mm-hmm. that's been achieved mm-hmm. because it really can reflect whatever city it's performed mm-hmm. in. And I think that the actors and I had a lot of conversation around it's really actors bringing themselves into the play because it is so open so so often we as actors check parts of ourselves at the door Mm -hmm. when we enter a role because we're embodying someone else right so we we can't detach ourselves from ourselves Mm -hmm. but there are parts of ourselves that don't apply yeah right Mm -hmm. of course whereas a play like this it's just you Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. you as a person who's Mm -hmm. homeless or you as a politician or you as an artist but it's it's you and so if you're walking into the room as a middle-aged middle upper class white woman or you're walking into the room as a teenager in high school that was one of our rick tickets was literally and mm-hmm. you know this mm-hmm. underaged person who mm-hmm. is now representing someone who's homeless and there are a lot of kids yeah. without homes and so mm-hmm. it makes sense to see that on stage mm-hmm. but you know you you're walking into the room with your own identity intact mm-hmm. and that's a really special experience i think mm-hmm. as an actor to be exploring yourself at the same mm-hmm. time as you're exploring a character mm-hmm. and to your point about plays where the process of creating is equally as important as the performance itself i mean i think that's part of what makes this play what it is mm-hmm. is that people are really having to reflect on who they are and their experience with the world and with people around them how are they interacting with people on the margins mm-hmm. and is it right or good and what needs to change and what are my biases i mean it really holds one of the lines in the play is that you art holds up a mirror mm-hmm. and this does that i mean you were just looking at your own reflection the whole time that you're performing and it's kind of scary mm-hmm. but in a good way yeah i got yeah yeah well and it's also I, yeah i think too because i i come from a small town i mean i live in los angeles now and i gotta turn my phone off i'm so sorry but um i you know i come from a small town and um you know there's so much of that that goes on in smaller community theaters and to me i have such an appreciation for that because you know for a lot of people kids like me growing up in a small town sometimes the community theater is your first exposure to any theater Mm -hmm. any theater at all 
And if and if you're only seeing touring shows of musicals or just you know or the the classics or whatever, mm-hmm. like if you're not being at least exposed to different kinds of theater, you know, you, you don't really, you, you, it takes a long time to build that. Like, and if you don't get real exposure to that until college, like that's just a shame, mm-hmm. you know? And I also had parents who, you know, they, they, um, it was a priority for them, you know? And so my small town in South Dakota, our school would, would arrange trips to Minneapolis. And so we would, you know, you'd like pay your little fee and then you'd take a charter bus up to, and I remember seeing like skin of our teeth at the Guthrie and like wow. with my bro- <laughs> with my little brother and like, we were just blown away. And it's also mm-hmm. like you're, and you know, and talk about the poetry and kind of like that. And there's some non-linear, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in skin of our teeth <laughs> and it's Thornton Wilder, like, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing some Shakespeare and seeing, you know, I saw an all black death of a salesman mm-hmm. way back when I know they're doing it on Broadway now, but like, I saw that a long time ago at the Guthrie and it's like, you know, and then there were smaller theaters and things like that. And, you know, and then we had a, a university in our hometown with a strong um, South Dakota state university and they had a really strong drama department. They had a whole summer stock kind of thing that they would do. You know, that was harder for them. They would have to do more of the the musicals, the standards, the things like that. But every now and then a couple of the actors would get together and they would do some little like studio thing down in this, you know, this alternative space. And, you know, mm-hmm. so this kind of theater in all communities is really, really important. And, you know, it you just never know. And, and, and even if it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that your kid is going to, you know, run off and join the circus. But I just think that we're all better humans, period, when we have that kind of exposure, because you just you just see the world differently. You just see it differently. And knowing that it's out there and having that appreciation. And I would argue that whether they do or not, the world is a better place if kids feel like maybe they could run off and join the circus. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I just don't want to piss off any parents. <laughs> well, I'll piss them off for you. <laughs> but I agree. I mean, and that's what's so funny to me is that it's like, you know, I, and this is the difference for me as a kid, going to the theater was like so exciting and when i finally mm-hmm. moved to a big city i moved to new york after college I, I, like the idea that i could go to theater any night i wanted to like it's small little theater you know not broadway but like anything anything that was playing and you know and sometimes you get this feeling and that's you know you get this like i would joke about this sometimes is that you know theater is is the thing that husbands feel their wives drag them to and it's like you're seeing that you're not seeing the right kind of theater <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's like there's so much more out there. And and so that's that to me is the big difference. But if you're not exposed to it early, if you're not, you know, if you don't have like a healthy diet of it and know that this range exists, mm-hmm. how would you ever how would you ever think that theater isn't just Shakespeare or it's yeah. not just this one thing? Mm-hmm. And there are so many contemporary playwrights. There's so many people writing plays right now. And that's why it's important. And it's why we mm-hmm. talk about new work almost yeah. exclusively it's on amazing. this podcast. And it's why it's the bulk of what we do as a company. Yeah. Because there are stories that need to be told and voices that need to be heard that haven't been yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, and plays like this deserve to be seen. And it, it's it's it is important. And thank you for writing plays like this for us to then get to produce and perform and people to see. It's important. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I feel very lucky. I, f- I feel very lucky. And I also feel like, oh, my God, we found each other. Because, you know, you just there are certain companies and certain artists that you that like get you. And then there are people who don't. And it's like but it is it's a lot like dating. It's like yeah. you got to find, you know, and as you the longer you write, you start to find, and as I say, like finding your champions, but even theater companies have to find their champions. They have Mm -hmm. to find their champions within the community. They have to find the people who believe in what they're doing because it does take resources. It takes, you know, it takes a space, it takes audience, you know, and so it is, it's kind of, but that's why it's so akin to community building. It's, it's, they're, they are like one in the same. Absolutely. You know, but that's kind of why it's also very fun 
and exhausting and fun. Yeah, <laughs> all of all of those all things. Of it. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so the beauty of this show is it's one that we could frankly talk about for hours <laughs> and well, hours. I know, but like you might have been, not that we're boring. You would probably listen to the whole thing. I'm sure. Um, but we're going to cut it off here because yes. it's just a play that hopefully someday you'll get to see hopefully. in a theater yeah. near you. Yeah. If we have anything to say about it, that yes. is, yes. um, but really, truly Amy, thank you for being here. Y'all are going to want to listen to the next episode as well. Cause Amy's going to record another one with us <laughs> if we haven't scared her away yet. Um, so, so Mackenzie's not here to tell you where to find us. So I'm going to try and remember how to do it. Uh, bear with me. But before I do that, I just want to thank you for being here with us to talk about this new and exciting work with an exciting playwright that we have the pleasure of introducing you to. Um, and for cardboard castles hung on walls, we thank you for coming on this journey with us in order to imagine this. Now, you can find us at wildimaginingswaco.com on social media. We are Wild Imaginings Waco. We just launched a Instagram for our podcast specifically, which is, oh gosh, I'm going to mess this up, Brashina. What is it? It's imaginethistheater.pod. Ooh, I nailed it. Um, and our wonderful producers are Rogue Media Network, and you should follow them as well. Amy, do you want to plug anything coming up for you or where people could find more about you or follow along with you anywhere anything um, that you want to say i have i have a new play about to be produced by next stage press um so you can look me up there and i also uh, am a co-author on a memoir that is out called icons and instincts and uh yeah, it's uh, his name is Vincent Patterson. He's a good friend of mine. He was Michael Jackson's primary choreographer for like 15 years. And Madonna, he did the Blonde wow. Ambition tour and Ooh. he did Dancer in the Dark, a Lars von Trier. Like he's done like all these crazy things. But yeah, we wrote a memoir together about his amazing life. And yeah, it came out in September. We've had a big opening and yeah it's just that's it's, fantastic it's really yeah. cool it's like it's a very <laughs> wild time right now and it's very weird because but at the the memoir which is cool what's cool about the memoir is for me as a writer is I was writing in his voice so it's a mm. lot of like so to me it's very much like playwriting it's, it's dialogue it's you know figuring out what's the voice of this character and then he you know so it was a it was very much a collaborative effort and but we're very proud of it and it's that's doing really well cool. and we're really excited but yeah well congratulations yeah, that's thank awesome. you yeah, yeah so everyone go grab a copy of icons and, icons instincts. and instincts yeah we're yeah. and we're everywhere like if you just google it it'll start showing up yeah, it's on amazon it's yeah and this is your second play that's about to be published, correct? Yeah, I've written a I mean, lot you've, of but plays. Published plays. Published, yeah. Sure. I don't have a lot of things published just because I believe I'm just a really firm believer that you just gotta make sure the script is really, really done and ready. Yeah. And I have like short plays and I've got monologue. I have smaller things published in various anthologies and things like that. I'm in a lot of anthologies, but for a full length play, um, yeah, so this is my second one. The first one is uh, a play called Women of 4G, which is about seven women in space, and it's, like, really awesome. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and the other one is Flesh Eating Tiger is um, the one that's coming out now. And, I, you know, in Carbacast, this is probably on its way, but, like, this is the first, you know, I like to do a few productions. I like to, you know, I feel like you have to really see what, you know, because I want the things in the script to really be helpful for a production. So I think it's important that I have to experience a few productions to make sure that everything I've done, I, I, that I have done everything I can on the page mm -hmm. so that there aren't any gaps, there aren't any holes, there aren't any, pro you know, and you don't know that until you have people work with the script. Yeah. True. And I think, I think that's wise. Um, so check out Icons and Instincts. Flesh Eating Tiger is mm -hmm. coming up from the publishing mm -hmm. and Come listen to the next episode because we're going to hear more about Amy's journey as a playwright, some of the other things she's written. We're going to make her talk way more this next episode, so you have to hear less from us. You're welcome. Um, so thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.